even if you haven't seen it, you still know it. And that what's in the box is legendary. What's in the box? What's in the box? Spoiler alert. It was Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Oh. If they haven't seen it now, it was 1995. <laughs> Go screw it. Did you say it was Gwyneth Paltrow's egg? Head. <laughs> it was her jade egg. It was her vagina smelling candles. Even then, she was selling vagina eggs. While she was shipping them in the box. I smell the box. We know it was in the box. I would have bought one if it said what's in the box on the outside. That's genius. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney... Maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios and on Pod TV Live, it's another all-new Dueling Decades. The adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we slide into September with a best of duel. I will be competing with the best of September 1975 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, representing the 80s, say hello to the one we call Man Crush. Yes, what's up? I have September of 1985, and I don't know how long my streak is now. You know what? I, I think I'm working on a four-match winning streak, so let's make it five. And watch us on Pod TV. That's uh, that's twice. Also joining the show and competing this week with the 90s is the media king of the North. Please welcome back Joe Finley. My favorite thing about being back as a contestant after a couple of rounds as judges is I'm going to end Man Crush's streak, and we're going to be able to see it on Pod TV. Oh, three times. We're done. <laughs> and as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's guest judge is the first member of the Dueling Decades Four Timers Club. Woo! And maybe that's because, like the song says, he's better than the rest. <laughs> all rise and welcome back to the show, Judge Robert Tepper. Hey, guys, what's going on? Glad to be back. Glad to be judging one more time. I could be on even more. We could do this once a week if you we wanted to. But, okay. Dude, it's not like, I'm always like, I got to get Tepper at least one quarter or at least twice a year. Because I think we, we missed out on the summer. So I think the last time you were on was January. the whole country. <laughs> yeah, so we, we actually missed a session. See, yeah, we will need to get you back again earlier than, I appreciate uh, than expected. It. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. Yes. So how do we how do we do the flip with three people? 
Well, this week it'll be between Man Crush and Joe Finley. Ah, oh, you're you're just MC. Yeah, well, I'm competing as well, but you know, we'll we'll defer to these two gentlemen for the coin toss. Mark doesn't like to go first. Okay. It's strategic. All I'm right. pretty sure he's like he's trying to set I get us it, up. man. I get it. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Joe, you can call it. Okay, Ready, Joe? Call? call it. Heads. It is heads. Yes. Woo. All right, Joe Finley, you win the coin toss. You take control of the board, and you get to select our first category. All right, well, I'm going to do something uh, a little unpopular here, and I am going to actually select the music round as the first round with a musical Ooh. judge. Okay. So, September 12th, 1995, off the success of their most successful album, it's their sixth album to date, and I give you Red Hot Chili Peppers with One Hot Minute. Uh, it was the only album to feature Dave Navarro after he replaced uh, John Frusciante, who was having issues with the band's popularity. Uh, featured songs Warped, My Friends, and Aeroplane, which was arguably the biggest of the hits. Uh, Rolling Stone said of the album, One Hot Minute dives into the emotionally deep end of drug addiction and loss, and that the album is a fer is ferociously eclectic and imaginative disc that also presents the band members as more thoughtful, spiritual, even grown up. After 10-plus year career, they're realizing their potential at last. The album, while considered a disappointing follow-up to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, uh, it sold 2 million copies worldwide. It reached number 4 on the Billboard 200. It's a good album. It's not their best album, but it's a quite a good album. Uh, so I give you One Hot Minute by the Chili Willies. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the music round? All right, so let's head back to September 2nd, 1985. Normally, when I look for music, I typically skip best of albums or compilations, but sometimes they do carry some weight. And I think in this case, it works out for the sheer amount of copies that this thing sold and the number of hits that are on this album. It was super hard to ignore this one. And you also have to think to yourself this. It's 1985, right? We don't have instant access to music like we do today. So you would have needed to own eight of this guy's previous albums to get the songs that were on this best of between 1973 and 1983. So there was a time and place for this kind of thing back in 1985. And the numbers for this one will demonstrate that uh, this guy right here, he's got all kinds of albums. But if you were to look at them in order, this would be about his 11th release. And it's also the best selling of any album in his entire catalog of nearly 40 releases. The album right here, it's a uh, greatest hits volume one and two. And the dude had so many hits. They needed to release this first one as two fucking volumes. He's that good. Uh, it was certified double diamond in the United States. So uh, 23 million units, which is good enough for sixth all-time best-selling album which is just incredible uh it's not all old though uh there were two previously unreleased tracks on this one you had uh you're all you're only human and uh the night is still young however you got all the hits here piano man say goodbye to hollywood new york state of mind the stranger just the way you are which is just the first side of the first cassette <laughs> and then i mean it just goes on and on so for any billy joel fan this is literally this has every song that he had done pretty much up until 1985, just about. 
So I give you the man that I'm going to see in November after waiting two years to see this show because we bought these back way back when. But we got Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2, and that was released September 2nd, 1985. All right, gentlemen. Uh, so for my music pick, we'll head over to the pages of the Star Press out of Muncie, Indiana, where an excerpt from a review by Stephen Friedman reads, Wish You Were Here sends listener on a voyage. Highlighting this week's reviews is the new Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. As always, Floyd can flagrantly twist and contort the senses as well as subdue and relax them. Therein lies the power which makes theirs a mesmerizing brand of sound. The lyrics of Roger Waters, while at times can be a bit infantile, seem to fit a preconceived mold created by the music. Pink Floyd is not is not your quite of the run-of-the-mill rock band, the purpose of their subliminal trip seems to send you on your own spaced-out voyage, the article says. Now, the album's title track, Wish You Were Here, was based on a poem that Roger Waters wrote about Pink Floyd's original frontman, Sid Barrett, and his fall from reality, largely due to his extensive use of LSD. Now, Wish You Were Here would be the ninth studio album by Pink Floyd, but the band's first release on Columbia Records. The album was shockingly panned by critics when it was released, but has gone on to be one of the most beloved albums in all of rock music history. The album clocks in at a brisk 23 minutes and 11 seconds. Now, if we take a look at the album track listings here, we start off with the hauntingly beautiful Shine On You Crazy Diamond, parts one through five. Then we take a brief break from the moving tribute to their former bandmate for two singles that are actually criticizing the music business which you always want to do on your first album with a new label, just so you know. So we get Welcome to the Machine and my personal favorite, Have a Cigar. Next up is the moving Wish You Were Here, and the album concludes with Shine On You Crazy Diamond, parts six through nine. The 900,000 advance orders, which was actually the largest of any Columbia release at the time, helped the album reach number one on the Billboard charts in only its second week. Wish You Were Here was Pink Floyd's fastest-selling album ever. So there's so much to say about this album, so many great stories about the writing and recording. I highly recommend everyone to go out there, take the 23 minutes, listen to the album, and then do some of your own research about some of these great stories. So I give you Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, September 12th, 1975. I think my face and Tepper's face were exactly the same. When you said 23 minutes, we were like, what? <laughs> like, wait, for one wait, song? For one song. <laughs> right. um, That's shocking. That is, really. All right, well, let's toss it down to our guest judge for this episode, Mr. Robert Tepper, for his verdict on the music round. You opened up tough, man. You, you gave me three bands that I absolutely love, you know, so it's 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 a... Uh, it's a tough choice, okay? Um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic was one of my favorite albums ever, okay? Uh, I, I have I have kids who are young, so I was hearing all this stuff coming up, Pearl Jam, all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, was I actually, you know, seeking out the Chili Peppers? I couldn't help it. They were playing it. My kids were playing the CDs, you know. You know, um, what was a Higher Ground? You had Higher Ground. And I... You know, they and 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 then they put on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it's still to this day, because I engineer a lot, one of my favorite sounding snares, right? 
ever. Drum sounds just great. And I don't want to drag this out too long. But when that next, that, this was the next record, right? And nobody liked the record. Everybody was pissed <laughs> off, okay? Anybody who was a big fan of theirs was like, you know, and, and in all honesty, you know, the change of guitar player, what was so cool about his guitar playing was like, he was so funky in the Jimi Hendrix kind of way that that identified a lot. And Navarro was more slick, you know, and just a little more clean and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I wasn't used to that. So I got to shoot you down for that uh, Chili Peppers record. So sorry. Apologize. <laughs> That's why he went with it round one. <laughs> okay. Okay. The next, the, the next record, you, you know, Pink Floyd, I mean, Come on, guys. I absolutely love Pink Floyd. I mean, how could you not love Pink Floyd? And Sid Barrett and, uh, you know, um, I, I didn't know. I didn't know him that well. You know what I mean? I didn't know the music with Sid Barrett that well. And as far as Pink Floyd records go, I'm sure if, you know, if you're really into them, like sicko, wacko a million times over, that you know that record. You know, I don't really know that record, you know which tells me for a guy who pretty much gets up and has music first, you know, instead of cereal in the morning, you know what I mean? It's like, that couldn't have been a very popular record for that. <laughs> now, the first time I ever played for a big producer, I played for Phil Ramone at a studio in New York. And it was, it was a pretty famous studio and names, you know, and Phil Ramone was coming off producing, uh, what, The Stranger, right? Remember that? Yep. And that record kind of took over, man. That record kind of took over. Billy Joel is just so funny to me. He, it's like there's a part of me that goes, fucking Billy, man. You sound you sound like a bar mitzvah band sometimes. You know what I mean? He's got that, <laughs> you know, he's got that thing where he's 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 so exact. He's such a great piano player. He's such a great singer. He is such a great songwriter, you know? And I got to give it to Billy Joel, man, because I come from the songs are first, you know. So, man, crushed, you get this man. Sweet, and you know what? It it kind of makes sense too. Like, uh, nine eleven was twenty years ago, and two days from now. Yeah. That's and right. Did you guys ever hear the story about uh, when nine eleven happened, and Billy no. Joel just he hopped on his motorcycle, yeah, and just started driving to like random bars in Long Island and places down in the city, and was just doing music he would just show up at a place and just start fucking can you imagine you're like amazing. drinking your sorrows away billy joel walks in the fucking door i'm not trying to be my mother who's dead and try to top your story with it uh your son's a doctor oh my son's a surgeon you know, i'm not <laughs> trying to do that but i just want to say when i was a kid like 16 17 we would go to the village and i saw him in the village man playing in a club like cafe wa you know, on organ, just playing. I mean, I didn't know who he was. You know what I mean? He was just like, but the guy is, you know, he's Mr. New York. I, I think he sells out. Are you going to the Madison Square? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, it sells out like every weekend, right? Is he yeah, plays every that's, Saturday? You it's know, the thing is, I bought these tickets. Uh, four years ago. No. Like, I can't remember if I got them at the end of 2018. Right. I think I did. I think I got them at the end of 2018 for my wife's birthday. So and we knew then that it was going to be like, you know, in a while from now. Right. And right. then it got canceled twice because of COVID. And now it got pushed all the way to November. So it's like, 
I forgot the exact day we're going, but it's sometime in November. And uh, we're it's it. so sold out, Tepper. I'm oh, sitting yeah. behind the stage. <laughs> I'm sitting oh, behind wow. the stage. I was like, fuck it. Like, what What choice do I have? Never my favorite place to go see a band, to sit behind them. But hey, <laughs> man, crunch, to see him live. You'll have yeah. a, for you, it'll be a, I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I don't know. Seriously. Out. Are they going to start? Is the stage, sir? Is it going I, around? I Probably think not. the way I looked at. I mean, of course, this is like going back three years ago, but back three years ago when he was doing this from behind the stage, you could still see a pretty decent amount of the stage and he doesn't get up and move around. I sit to the piano. So we had a pretty good set of seats looking at uh, other people's uh, tickets from prior shows. But who the fuck? Oh, you'll knows love how? it. You'll I, love it. Who, who knows? how? I, do. I don't know how he doesn't do that in the round. It just doesn't make sense to me because he could say, like, it, yeah, because he'll sell that out. You're right. Right. But. But the thing is, there's so many people who want to see him, and they have to do it at a place like the Garden. Otherwise, yep. they can't accommodate. Yeah. And there's no, like, that, look, seeing Billy Joe in an intimate atmosphere would just be insanely great, you know? The one, but, the one caveat to that, though, the, the seats behind the stage, I'm in, like, the sixth or seventh row. So I'm super, I'm super close. I just yeah. don't know what I'll be able to see. Just keep going. <laughs> drumstick. I need a drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> Throw me shit. Come on. I'm sitting in the back, motherfucker. No, I feel bad for me. <laughs> All right. Round one goes to you, buddy. All right. I'll take it. All right, man, Crush. You pick up the first point. You get to select our next category. All right. Let's go. Uh, let's go movies here. Round two, which is where I thought Joe was going to go for round one. And he threw that curveball. But let's go right. September 27th of 1985. And believe it or not, when I drew September of 1985, I thought there was going to be a plethora of movies to choose from, and there were not. Matter of fact, if, if you follow our Facebook page, we, we post the movies released on this date every day around 1130 in the morning. And one of the things you'd notice is that September is a pretty crummy month for movies, especially the beginning of September. It's weird. It, I mean, it's like the Mark and I talked about this like uh, a couple weeks ago or like last week or some shit. It's kind of like the summer hangover, like movies that couldn't quite make yeah. the summer. So it's like, all right, well, we'll just tag them on to September. But here's the thing, though. Like, there's just something special about 1985. I always feel like 1985 will have something amazing. But in this case, there was only one movie from the month of September 1985 that stood out to me. It was a canon movie. And how the hell can you go wrong with that? You got a canon movie in 1985? I'll take it. So the box office, this movie took in around $18 million, roughly $46 million in 2021. And it was number one at the box office the week that it was released. Now, that doesn't sound like amazing numbers, but that's pretty run-of-the-mill for a canon movie. Yeah. If their movies were making a few million bucks, then those cousins were overjoyed you know, that they made that. And the star of this film is a legend and a canon staple. And this was the first movie with canon that he did after he inked this new six movie deal with them. And that all said, this movie was way more popular when it hit rental shelves. And it dawned one of the most iconic covers in the rental store of all time. Even Mike Ranger, I was telling him about this last night. First thing he mentioned, you got Matt Hunter on the front cover with his Uzis pointing out while wearing a cutoff denim button down shirt showing off his pecs because it's 1985 and clearly no one wears a fucking shirt in an action movie in 1985 so it fits right in 
So if you're in the mood for canon greatness, terrorists in your backyard, body counts over 100, terrible fake accents, retired CIA agents saving the day because the active CIA sucks, Chuck Norris versus countless mercenaries, unlimited ammunition because it's Chuck Norris. You got to have that. Destroying malls, blowing up actual houses, movie where zero logic is required, coke snorting prostitutes, and juvenile scripts with magical one-liners like this one. If you come back in here, I'm going to hit you with so many rights, you're going to beg for a left. <laughs> then go out and pick yourself up a DVD copy of the Chuck Norris classic Invasion USA because you will not find it streaming because I could not find it last <laughs> night. I had to go and pull the DVD out to watch it. It's a great one, though. September 27th, 1985. How old was Chuck Norris right then? Do you have any idea? Oh, he had to be, like, just looking at him in that movie, I'd say he was, like, mid-40s. Yeah. Okay. Because he's like he's in his late 80s. Oh, now. he's like 140 or something. He's probably in better <laughs> shape than I am. All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the movies round? All right, well, my movie doesn't have quite the body count as that. Uh, only a single-digit number of people died. But the movie gave us the answer to one of the great all-time questions. What's in the box? <laughs> September 22nd, 1995. Seven is released, uh, directed by David Fincher, starring Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Gwyneth Paltrow and Kevin Spacey in his creepiest role other than Kevin Spacey. Uh, the movie was nominated for an Oscar for Best Screenplay. It made $327.3 million, which is the equivalent of $569.7 million today. Uh, just one of those mega hits, iconic, everybody knows it. Even if you haven't seen it, you still know it. And that what's in the box is a uh, legendary what's in the box. In the box? Uh, spoiler alert. It was Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Oh, if they haven't seen it now, it was 1995. <laughs> Go screw. Did you say it was Gwyneth Paltrow's egg head? <laughs> it was her jade egg. It was her vagina smelling candles. Even the then box. she was selling vagina. eggs. <laughs> well, she was shipping them in the box. I smell the box. We know it was in the box. I would have bought one if it said what's in the box on the outside. That's genius. But yeah, I give you, you know, seven. What more can I say? <laughs> All right. So for my movie selection, this is a movie ad that I've been anticipating to come up on this show for quite a while. Making its U.S. debut in Los Angeles on September 26th, 1975, and still being shown in theaters to this very day, I present to you the musical where a newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated area and must seek shelter at the bizarre residence of a transsexual from outer space. I give you the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Directed by Jim Sharman, who would also go on to direct the 1981 sequel, Shock Treatment, the film was filmed over six weeks on a budget of $1.4 million at the Oakley Court in Windsor, England, which is actually now turned into a hotel, and you can go and visit it and stay there. It's really cool. Written by Richard O'Brien and based on his London hit musical, starring Richard O'Brien, Tim Curry, the enchanting Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, Meatloaf and Ernst Stravel Blofeld himself, Mr. Charles Gray as the criminologist. Now, Susan Sarandon was sick at the time of filming, 
And during the uh, floor show scene, you can actually see her visibly shaking with fever sweats. And uh, Princess Diana, we have to bring her up. It's an episode of Dueling Decades. She was actually a huge Rocky Horror fan. She once even requested a meeting with Tim Curry, where she told him at that meeting that Rocky Horror, quote, quite completed my education. So uh, Rocky Horror is something that I discovered in college as a freshman. Uh, We had a whole group of us that would all get together. We'd watch the movie. We even had the scripts printed out and then we we highlighted all the fan participation lines alas though i've never actually been to a theater to see it mostly due to the fact that no one was ever willing to go to the f- movies to see that with me <laughs> so i give you the rocky horror picture show september wow. 26th 1975 wow wow um okay so now i adjudicate yes yes let's throw it <laughs> over to robert tepper for his rulings over, on baby. the movies round. On the movies round. Okay. Um, first of all, these three movies are in my hot spot, right? How old am I in 75? I am, I'm 25 years old. I'm 25 years old. So I'm hanging in New York. I'm going all over the place. Rocky Horror Picture Show used to play on, in, in this one theater in, at 12 o'clock on Friday night, every week, okay? And people would just go absolutely nuts. Although I think I saw it on Second Avenue in the theater on Second Avenue, and I remember, yeah, I remember going to see it, you know. And I and um, it, it was quite sad. And oh my gosh, Tim Curry! You remember Tim Curry's first solo record? What a great record! And Susan, Sar- you know, Sarandon, and um, Meatloaf. I mean, it was kind of. Um, it was kind of a showcase for theatrical rock and roll. I always yeah. felt, you know, like it was kind of like the beginning of like, you know, Bad Out of Hell and, yep. you know, Meatloaf kind of stayed with that theme of, you know, kind of, you know, dramatic rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, if you hear Meatloaf in any interview, he always says that he's never up there singing as himself. He's playing a character in all of Absolutely. these songs. So it's just Absolutely. an extension of what he did with Rocky Horror. Yes. Yes. Okay, uh, Seven was one of those creepy movies, right, that I had put on. You ever, you ever sit in there watching a movie like, and I forget how long after it came out. I don't think I, I saw it in the theaters, but I remember he's in like a, he's in like a white room at one point, isn't he? Um, you know, Brad Pitt, he's like in kind of like an insane asylum of some kind. And I I remember that they're hallucinating, there's blood on the walls, and and what's his name? The greatest actor of all time is like the head detective. What's um oh Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, right? I thought you were gonna say Kevin Spacey. I was like, no, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> bad timing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Kevin Spacey, man. Wow. Was he a bad he was truly a bad guy. Everybody was mad at him, but he was just staying in character, you know. He He's just bad. that's why he was so good. Just cave. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Oh, my God. Um, so, uh, yeah, Seven. Seven was um, just, it, it was surprising. It was one of those movies. It's like, you know, when you're, you're sitting there, the movie that does it for me is Rounders, right? Yeah. It's Friday night. You're right, ready to go to bed. And all of a sudden, you're, you're flipping through for one last little push, you know, and there's Rounders. You know, if you don't know who the sucker at the table is, it's probably you. <laughs> You know? <laughs> and 
And Seven did that to me. They were sitting on that bench. I remember in the police headquarters and it was just creepy, you know? Yep. So that was really interesting. Uh, Chuck Norris is so easy to hate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am so opinionated. When it comes to Chuck Norris, there is, there's a, I used to drive my kid to um, Burbank High School every morning, right? And we always went down this street. There was a chilly place on the left. And when you got to the light, you looked over and on the fence and said, I hate Chuck Norris. <laughs> right, <laughs> Bur- right in Burbank. And I always go, I understand that. I understand that. <laughs> you know, um, this is a tough round between Seven and uh, Rocky Horror. And Invasion USA. Yeah. But I'm going to give it to Seven because that's <laughs> oh. a quality movie. And I'll, t- and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why else. Because that director went on to. What else did he do? He made some amazing okay. movies, you know. David and Pinchers I don't great. love musicals, so here we go. Even though I wrote them. Wow. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, you tie up this game. But more importantly, you take control of the board, heading into our final one-point round. What category are we going with next? Oh, I, I'm really uh, like digging the suspense right now, but I already knew what I was going to pick. We're going with the news, guys. All right. Ooh. The news? The news. The news. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let us go to we got it right here, September third, nineteen ninety-five, and uh, a little internet company uh, gets started, and uh, they bring to us something we've never had before—the ability to have an auction online. Uh, September third is the founding of eBay. Uh, the very first item ever sold on the auction web was a broken laser pointer that sold for $14.83. Uh, the man who founded the company actually reached out to the person who bought it and said, you understand that this laser pointer is broken, right? And they said, yes, I understand. I collect broken laser pointers. And he right away knew that this was going to be a gigantic deal. The company goes on to... You know, has now what thirteen thousand employees. It's worth forty eight point six billion dollars. Actually, on my reading about it, it's actually one of the major reasons of the boom of Beanie Babies because they were so hard to come by that the prices got jacked up on auction websites like eBay. So uh, I got tons of those too. Yeah. So it was interesting, but just the, uh, but yeah, just the coverage of this new weird little. Uh, auction website and how it was so out of the norm and nobody knew if it was going to do anything. Uh, that's what I give you. September 3rd, 1995, the founding of eBay. That's wow. a good one. Guess what I did last night when I was at the studio waiting for somebody to wrap up? <laughs> I was waiting for a... Uh, w- my wife and I collect concert posters of uh, concerts that we've gone to. Nice. And uh, now I buy the concert poster when I go, but like in years past, I just been a dickhead been drunk or whatever and just not bought them so when we saw guns and roses four years ago or five years ago now 2016 i did not buy that poster and somebody listed that lithograph on uh on ebay and it ended last night while i was at the studio <laughs> and i ended up getting it for and i was really happy like overall i ended up paying like 98 dollars i think for it oh wow but some of these posters some of these lithographs are fucking oh, yeah. insane some of the pearl jam ones are like two three thousand dollars oh wow so next time you go to a concert, buy the poster. poster. Go bring it back to your car, and then then you can get drunk. All right, man, crush. You're up next. What did you bring for the news round? Oh, that was my news. Fuck. Uh, now let's go. Um, 
September 22nd, 1985. So a lot of you that listen to the show are probably aware of this, but we used to have this show called Poop Culture, right? And one of the things that we did on Poop Culture was this bit called Poop News, where we would just find like stupid news and we report on it. And somewhere along the way, we started to do doing decades. And at least me personally, I got away from covering poop news and started to report it on actual news, you know, from years gone by for the news round. Well, over the course of the last several months, <laughs> my poop news radar has gone back on. And that's all I'm ever scouring for. And those articles go something like this one. And this is uh title of this article is Emmy Imposter may face charges. So I'll give you the short part of this article and then I'll get into it. An imposter went on stage last night on national television and accepted the best supporting actress award for Betty Thomas of NBC's Hill street blues and was promptly jailed for attempted grand theft on Sunday night. A man police identified as Barry Bremen 38 of West Bloomfield, Michigan was led away in handcuffs after leaving the stage of the Pasadena civic auditorium. He accepted the Emmy Award after walking up on stage during the award ceremony and telling Peter Graves, hey, Betty Thomas is absent. Uh, I'm here to pick it up for her. Funny thing was, Betty was there and she also walked up on stage while this guy was accepting the award. The clip is on fucking YouTube. Just look up Barry Bremen uh, Emmy Award 1985. You'll find it. It's hysterical. Anyhow, with that said, I do what I always do. And I kept searching for his name. And Mr. Bremen, he popped up in another article from September 29th. And this one was called Bremen should get an Emmy for being a con man. And let me just rip through this article because it's amazing. And I think we always just like we deserve both sides of the story. Right. We can't just have like, you know, this is his story. Barry Bremen got an Emmy award the other night to be specific. Barry Bremen got someone else's Emmy the other night. Then Bremen got arrested. They thought I was serious, said Bremen. Me? Serious? Barry Bremen, who stealthily put on a two-piece outfit and a blonde wig along the sideline and became a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader? Barry <laughs> Bremen, who showed up at home plate the first game of the 1980 World Series dressed as an umpire? Barry Bremen, who wore a Yankee uniform on the field during the batting practice before the 1979 baseball all-star game at Seattle, but was ejected when he tried to pose for the team picture. How could anyone think that Barry Bremen was serious? Crazy? Absolutely, but not serious. The police in Pasadena who arrested Bremen after the Emmy ceremonies and charged him with grand theft for allegedly trying to take the statuette were serious. Bremen was jailed until he paid a $150 fine or actually bail. But then Bremen found out. I'm just a great imposter, said Bremen. And the, the Emmy is only worth $150. So that's not even grand theft. I didn't do anything to hurt anybody. What I do is harmless. I'm just having fun. I get my yucks. And so does everyone else. Not everyone. When a few years ago, Bremen stripped to blue and <laughs> stripped down to a blue and white bra and shorts Worn by the, cow the Cowboys cheerleaders, a couple of security men at te Texas Stadium muscled him around as if he was public enemy number one. That clip is actually online, too. It's pretty funny. The Cowboys sued me for $10,000 and called me a pervert, Bremen said. Nobody ever accused the Cowboys of having a sense of humor, though. Nobody ever accused Bremen of having a sense of humility. 
a 38-year-old Michigan State graduate who resides in the Michigan suburb of West Bloomfield. Freeman will do anything for publicity and gratification. And here's a quote from him. He said, I work for a company that sells products like Famous Amos Cookies and Coleman brushes to big retail firms like Kmart, Vons, blah, blah, blah. Amos may be famous. Bremen is remarkable. I've been on Johnny Carson, said Bremen. David Letterman, Larry King. I helped raise money for the March of Dimes. I've met George Brett, Dick Schapp. That would not have happened to a manufacturer's rep, would it? Bremen's activities have been sports-related until the Emmy presentations. Bremen, who was in California on a business trip, purchased his third-row ticket for $300 using his real name, which he always does, and the excuse that he told them he was there from a small station in Michigan. And here's another quote from him. He said, I already had a tuxedo and I had a pretty decent suntan. Sort of looked like I was from Hollywood. Freeman sat patiently waiting through the program. Peter Graves came out to give the award for outstanding supporting actress in a drama series. And here's another quote from him. He said, Peter Graves, Mission Impossible, the music. It was natural. Betty Thomas, her name was called. There was a hesitation. I didn't think she was there. I went up, I accepted for her. When she walked up, I felt bad. I'd like to apologize, but I didn't want to ruin it for her. But she got flustered. She was way too serious. Instead of making a joke out of it, you know what? I have a great idea, Thomas said. She's on Hill Street Blues and she plays a cop. They could hire me and I'll work as a thief or a lunatic, whatever they want. Freeman's escapade started in February 1979, went on a $300 bet. He got into the Kansas City Kings warm-up suit and took layup drills with the players before the NBA All-Star Game in the Pontiac Silverdome. This summer, he played practice. I had to read this whole thing because it's fucking too crazy. This summer, he played a practice round before the U.S. Open golf tournament with Curtis Strange, Jay Haas, and Fred Couples. It was the most fun I ever had. Uh, I have something better planned for the future, and it says we can hardly wait. Sadly, uh, Barry Bremen, he passed away in 2011. Oh. The age of 64. Uh, but seriously, like I love shit like this. He, you know what? He even had a Jeopardy question based on him accepting that Emmy award right there. Yeah. His fines were never more than 500 bucks. Totally worth it. And he said that uh, the, the whole thing at the Emmys was like his crowning achievement. Uh, so I think this is where we queue up uh, Tepper singing uh, the great pretender by the platters. <laughs> Cause that's what he was. Go on YouTube, though. Check it out. Like, regardless if I win this round or not, go on YouTube. Just look up Barry Bremen, and it's uh, B-R-E-M-A-N, and some, f- like, just hilarious videos. Yeah, I remember seeing all those clips and, like, the uh, the uh, not-so-great moments in sports and all the different sports bloopers tapes you could get. They oh, dude, it's so funny. Stuff. He just goes up on stage like nothing. He's in a tux, and he's just accepting the award, and Betty Thomas, like, walks up on stage, and he does, like, this quick... He looks at her and does like this quick about face because he knew he was about to get arrested and just like walks off. Goodbye. It's wow. fucking classic, though. That's great. All right, guys. So for my news this week, let's go to the bottom of the comics page in the Philadelphia Daily News of all places for some sound health advice. September 16th, 1975. We're going to scroll down to the bottom of the comics page. In the lower right-hand corner, there's an article right next to, like, the, uh, you know, the kid's word jumble. And this article has the headline, X-ray shield for genitals urged. Human reproductive organs should be shielded during abdominal X-ray examinations, even though doctors and technicians 
now rarely offer the patients the opportunity, the Food and Drug Administration said yesterday. The agency said it would publish voluntary guidelines recommending the routine use of such shields. Gonad shielding is an easy way we can guard against any unwanted genetic changes that can result from long-term radiation exposure. Long. The agency said several types of shields are available. One involves the use of a plate between the x-ray machine and the patient to protect the male testes or the female ovaries. The other types consist of a pair of shorts with a protective lead cup for the male and an apron-style device for the female. Now, as we all know, this type of shielding and protection from x-rays is very commonplace and very highly regulated, and you have to do it. Back in 1975, they weren't even offering this as an option. <laughs> so, from now on, thanks to the comics section, everyone's going to be safe. Protect your nuts, people. So, I give you some uh, sound health advice. September 16th, 1975. Very cool. Very cool. Wow. Wow. <laughs> They're all good. They're all good. So, let's see. So, this guy who went up on stage and, and so what's it robert freeman is that his name <laughs> barry Breen. barry freeman right so it's a bf you've done a bf so here i am i was a huge huge joni mitchell fan right love joni mitchell and i'm like 17 years old and you know couldn't get any she's playing at carnegie hall and i'm like i'm going man I am going, come on, guys, somebody come with me. Somebody come with me to see Joni. Nobody, nobody. I go to Carnegie Hall. I get a ticket. I sit down. I'm like, you know, it wasn't a great seat, but it wasn't a horrible seat either. The show is over. You know, Joni hits her last notes, walks off stage. I sit there and wait until the whole place is empty. Everybody's left. I walk up on stage and I... And I go backstage and some guy says to me, hey, you going to the party? I go, uh, yeah, yeah. Where is it again? <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled up Barry Friedman. I go to this party. It's on Central, Central Park South. I get in the elevator. Now, remember, nobody would go with me. This is time when people were doing many drugs of all kinds. OK, I have hair down here. I look like Jesus. I have overalls on a full beard. It's darker, but it was a full beard. The door opens, there's Neil Young, there's Jackson Brown, there's Bernie Taupin, Bernie Taupin's wife, Joni, and I like died and went to heaven, okay? This was like, oh my God. So, I mean, it's so cool that Barry did this kind of stuff because years and years and years and years later, you know, uh, Howard Stern would make a living at Who was the guy who always used to do that stuff? Right. And um, he had some the guy was I forget what his name was. He had like a weird name, but he would send them to all these things. Yeah. And and if you got punked by by, you know, you, the idea was to get punked by him. Yep. You know, and uh, so he actually he's probably an icon in that business, you know. Oh, sure. uh, OK. Uh, you know, buying things online. Oh, my God. You know, huge. Huge, huge, huge. Um, I mean, it's great. It's great. I still haven't figured out <laughs> eBay, how you 
how you learn, like, how much was this worth? How did people, you know, it's just like, it was beyond me. But, and, you know, and all that stuff kind of contributes to how the world's going to finally end one day from all those companies. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, because someone's going to, oh, an atomic bomb looks slightly broken. I think I'll buy it. <laughs> $6,000. I love it. You know, a bag of pubes. A bag of pubes. <laughs> Come on, I'm looking it up. And, you know, as far as lead cups, I was old enough to, you know, I remember when you went to the dentist and they they put that sheet on you yeah. and all that stuff. I got to give it to Barry, man. Man, crush, you get it. You went on a little long. I had I to. I had to give the whole thing because if you just have the one. Well, like you knowing you, I know you had to, but you didn't have to. But I <laughs> I'll take it either way. But either way, that guy is so crazy. You know, that is that that became a comic industry doing that. That's pretty uh -huh. amazing. And I think it was Mr. Was it Mr. Jenks that you're talking about from? Uh, no, from no. Stern? What was his name? John something crazy something John. Oh, Stuttering John. Stuttering John. Oh, okay. That was his job yeah. on on Howard Stern, right? He would be, you know, get himself with all these things. You go to yoga classes and start parting. You know what I mean? Like, as they get positions, you know, <laughs> like, and uh, it was it was an early on, you know, Howard Stern bit, you know. The guys that did the prank calls were my the favorite. Prank calls were great. But Sal. That actually became a form of comedy, you know. It was pretty mm -hmm. Oh, so good. Sal and Richard Christie used to kill. Yes. All right. So you got it. All right, Man Crush. You have the lead. We are into our first two-point round. We got the hot products round left and the television round. Where are we going next? We're going television. TV. Let's do TV. It's, uh, it's that time, uh, September 27th. 1985, and all I got to say here is hallelujah, because after three years of doing this show, there like it's one of the things you figure out along the way. Like There's definite like seasons to the way the show works, and as you've seen over the past several months, like you, know, you have the summer television in the summer. It's typical shit. You either get reruns or you get like channels trying things out, but those shows never stick. So honestly, like most of the year, is that way for television that said when september and october roll around this is like the super bowl for this show in regards to television so at least for the next couple episodes we're gonna have some real bangers here i, th I think so and i think it's gonna be stiff competition probably even today so i'm kind of excited to see what you know everyone else brought to the table for this round but let's go september of 1985 fantastic for television matter of fact there were over 30 new shows that debuted in September of 1985. And there were actually a few that were like iconic shows that began in September of 85. So obviously making this selection, it was pretty difficult for me. There's one particular show that I never missed growing up. And it was this one. And that's why I decided to go with it. Uh, this particular show, it lasted for seven seasons, 139 episodes, two made for TV movies. And a reboot that lasted for five seasons, albeit not nearly as good as the original. And a parody movie that's probably the last funny comedy to come out of any comedy back in 2010. So, like, this, the show, it, it's got legs, right? Uh, the show, it's all about a secret agent named Angus who sported one of the more iconic TV mullets of the 80s. You know, there's there's something to be said about rocking a mullet for seven years 
especially when it's not like a manicured like Uncle Jesse mullet. Like you need to sport that cut with extreme confidence. So people don't think that you're just stuck in a time warp in 1986. And this dude managed to do that like effortlessly. You know what else he did with these in two minutes or less? He can create an explosive out of Alka-Seltzer, six orange peels, a tampon, a broken light bulb, duct tape, and a paperclip. Do I even need to say more about this one? I mean, it's the show that gave us the term MacGyvered. Like, I MacGyvered that. Nightcore. I did this. Yeah, This this single-handedly started the Swiss Army Knife craze in 1987. I give you MacGyver, September 27th, 1985. All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the television round? All right. He gave a good, uh, very good pick. I enjoyed MacGyver very much. Uh, I had an embarrassment of riches for TV. I had a very difficult decision, much like yourself. Uh, I went with a season seven season premiere of arguably one of the best shows in the history of television. And not only that, it was part two coming off of a cliffhanger that ended season six. I give you on September 17th, 1995, The Simpsons and Who Shot Mr. Burns, Part 2. So (laughs) in May of 95, uh, Mr. Burns was shot and we didn't know who did it. And it led to a summer of discussion and contests and all sorts of different things. I remember being a kid and having discussions with people all summer long. Who do you think they're going to be? I like and the, and they wouldn't let you forget because they had a big contest going on. You had to call 1-800-COLLECT to enter or you could go on springfield.com, a website they made just for this. They got over 500,000 hits over the summer period that it was live and you entered and if you guessed correctly, and they selected you as the winner, you would be animated into an episode of The Simpsons and immortalized. The episode comes out, but prior to the episode, there's actually a special called Springfield's Most Wanted, hosted by John Walsh, where they actually dissect the pre- the previous episode. They look at all the clues, and they talk to stars Dennis Franz, Courtney Thorne-Smith, Chris Elliott, Ke- uh, Kevin Nealon, and a bunch of other people who all come on in to weigh in and who they think the shooter is going to be. Uh, they actually had a Vegas odds maker for come in and show off the actual board because people were gambling on who shot Mr. Burns uh, with Homer being a two, the two to one favorite at the time. Um, they wrote many endings. They recorded a few of them with Harry Shearer. They animated one alternate ending. But in the end, it was Maggie Simpson who had shot Mr. Burns. Uh, the episode also featured Tito Puente as himself, rocking out the Emmy-nominated Senor Burns song. And uh, it was just a huge uh, spectacle. Uh, Entertainment Weekly made it uh, The Simpsons' top 25 episodes of all time. Uh, they had 12.3 million viewers. It was Fox's number one show of the week. And yeah, it was just a gigantic happening Season seven, episode one, The Simpsons, who shot Mr. Burns. All right, gentlemen, you know, it's September. School is back in session. And like Man Crush said, it's premiere season. Thank God. No Calicax. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So my television pick uh, this week is a show that ran for four seasons from September 9th, 1975 to June 8th, 1979. 
I present to you a series that was actually based on a stand-up routine from the show's star, where he recounts all of his experiences as a remedial high school student. September 9th, 1975, 8.30 p.m. on ABC. Let's all sit down and watch the debut of Welcome Back, Cotter, oh with the God. episode The Great Debate. Now, this is one you probably have seen in reruns. This is the one where Cotter arranges the debate between the Sweat Hogs and the debate team. So the show stars comedian Gabe Kaplan alongside Martha Strassman, Robert Higgs, uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, Ron Palillo, and a relative newcomer, Mr. John Travolta, as the unforgettable Vinnie Barbarino. Uh, the original title of the series was just going to be Cotter, but composer John Sebastian had the difficult duties of writing the theme song and the lyrics, and he couldn't find any words that rhymed with Cotter. <laughs> Harder. <laughs> so instead, he decided to compose lyrics to a song that illustrated the premise of the show, and that song was called Welcome Back. Well, the producers were so impressed with the song, they changed the name of the, of the show to Welcome Back, Cotter, and released the song as a single. It went number one on the charts, May 8th, 1976. So let's go to the pages of the High Point Enterprise out of High Point, North Carolina, September 9th, 1975, where an excerpt from an article reads, ABC's Welcome Back, Cotter, a sitcom co-authored and starring comedian Gabe Kaplan, as a young Brooklyn schoolteacher, was shown via closed circuit in advance. But there were some technical woes. The network's engineer somehow left the audio portion of a live tennis match on the circuit, causing <laughs> cries of 40 love atop punchlines of up your nose with a garden hose. I give you welcome back, Cotter. September 9th, 1975. <laughs> wow. Great. And you'd even mention uh, the fact that Mace used that song when he came back. Mace? What? Welcome back. Yeah, Mace the rapper used that. You don't remember oh, that? Did he? Welcome no. back. That was his thing. <laughs> Welcome right? back. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Let's throw it down to our guest judge, Robert Tepper, for the Bring ruling on the television round. <laughs> Bring, like, it Bring it over here. here. <laughs> Bring it over here. I'm very anxious to talk about that. <laughs> okay, so the MacGyver became a, became a term. And, you know, it. I always thought it was very funny, but the show sucked. Okay, it was, <laughs> it was just it was just bad TV all over. But you know, you got to remember, I was born in the six in the fifties, sixties. By the seventies, they were throwing out toilet paper. You know, and MacGyver was one of those things he could beat you up with a paper clip. You know what I mean? It was it was great. It was great. But I couldn't. Uh, I can't say I, I ever watched a whole episode. I I'm sorry, man, crush, but I never man. did. But it is a famous term, and it did it did become part of our nomenclature. Of <laughs> yeah, our, it was part of the. It was part of my lexicon. Absolutely, um, you know. So uh, I will. I watch. I listen. I can't watch a, a podcast, but I listen to Mark Marin a lot. You know um, what? WTH? Okay. Yep. WTF? Yes. You tried I to censor censor yourself a bit. I tried to clean it up. Sorry. <laughs> And Gabe Kaplan was on the other week. Oh, really? And so interesting about that show, how how they 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 had this premise. You know, they had this premise. Gabe Kaplan was like one of the early comedians who was able to get this thing on the air. And they gave him so much crap, man. They gave him so much, so much difficulty. But Gabe was Gabe was like 
he's he's like one of those icon icon comedians you know what i mean he came up with everybody and you always thought like well where did this guy come from well, was he a vegas dude who was he because we were so young you know but in actuality he was actually a very well-respected comic who paid his dues and this show was a huge break for him and john travolta oh my god you know crazy the simpsons i don't know they must put heroin in those things man because Every generation, every grandchild, every son, every, every, my dog, everybody watches that show man, and loves it. And I love it too. Um, it's just, I don't remember that whole thing, but my God, was that, that all, that all went on, right? They already did all that. <clears throat> but I, I got, just because of my, my heritage, who I am and who I came up with, I got to give it to Welcome Back Carter. I nice. gotta do it, guys. Really good. All right. Well, I get two points in that round. I tie this game up with Man Crush, and we're heading into the final round, the Hunt Products round. Uh, I'll go first on this one, actually. So, for my Hunt product this week, uh, we're gonna go over to October first, nineteen seventy-five. But but wait, this is a September battle. Ah, that's okay, because the Philippines is 12 hours ahead of us, because on the night of September 30th, 1975, the hottest ticket in towns across America was on pay-per-view in closed-circuit TV. I give you the Thrilla in Manila, the third and final match between the world heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. The fight was scheduled. Frazier is down. Frazier is down. I'm sorry. Now, the fight was scheduled for the morning of October 1st to accommodate the fans watching it on closed-circuit television on September 30th in the United States. Promoted by Don King, the Thrill of Manila was shown on closed-circuit television in 380 locations in the United States and broadcast to 68 countries worldwide. The fight was watched by a record global television audience of 1 billion viewers including 100 million viewers watching on closed-circuit theater television and 500,000 pay-per-view buys on HBO home cable television. So that night, actually, HBO became the first television network in history to deliver a continuous signal via satellite broadcasting that epic fight. This revolutionary event, kind of linking all the satellites together with cable, it turned cable television from a retransmitter into a program provider, completely changing uh, the scope of what cable television would become. So Ali, of course, won that fight after Frazier's chief second, Eddie Futch, asked the referee to stop the fight following the 14th round. So Ali ended up making $9 million for the fight. That's $45 million in 2021 dollars today, kids. And Frazier, he made about $5 million or $25 million in 2021. ESPN Sports Century ranked this event number five in its greatest games of the 20th century. And you could have seen it all for the low, low price of $12.50 or $63 in 2021 on closed-circuit television. So the Thrill of Manila live on closed-circuit television and pay-per-view September 30th, 1975. I want to know what the four events in front of that one were. were. I mean, if that was rated number five, what was one, two, three, and four? Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look. It must have been when God (laughs) created the earth. And then uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Knowing ESPN, one of them has to do with Michael Jordan. The other one's probably oh, has to course. do with a horse. Yeah. <laughs> so the one when yeah. Michael Jordan fought a horse for charity and a horse. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jordan's got the top four. Yep. All right. Who's next? All right. Uh, Man Crush. What did you bring for the hot products round? All right, so let's go uh, September 13th, 1985, and I'm kind of glad that Mark went uh, to the Philippines because I'm going to go outside the con- this country as well because I was initially torn on selecting this because it was a Japanese release. But when you look at the cultural impact that this game had, I think it would have been a travesty if I skipped this. I'll leave that decision to Tepper, but seriously, I don't see that being an issue. And the fact that Mark brought uh, the Philippines into the question whatever uh and i'm you know what i'm I'm throwing this number out there but if i had to venture to guess i'd say at least eight out of ten people in their at least once in their lifetime have played this game i have no evidence to back that figure up but i don't know like one person in my entire life that's never played this I remember even my grandmother playing this game with me. Not, I mean, she was not good at it at all, but she played it. And also, uh, the other thing with this one, the North American release is really kind of foggy. It seems like no one agrees when it was actually released in the U.S. Like if it was late fall, early winter, they, they don't have a date. So we go with the Japanese date, which is September 13th, 1985. Anyway, this lovable character got his start as the character Video Man in Donkey Kong back in 1981, or Jump Man, as many of us knew him. That is until Mario Sigali, the landlord for Nintendo's warehouse space in Washington, he stormed into their office in Tequila, or Tequila, I forgot what it, what it was, Washington, to bitch them out for being behind on their rent. So apparently, like Mario Sigali, he was not a very tall man, he wore suspenders, and that was enough for uh, Miyamoto to anoint their landlord with the namesake of arguably the most popular game character of all time, Super Mario. So on September 13th, 1985, wow. Super Mario Brothers was released in Japan for the NES, and they've never looked back. Uh, since his inception, Mario has been in hundreds of NES games. And Super Mario Brothers, it happens to be the most successful game ever in the franchise, selling just over 40 million copies for that one game alone. And to this date, there's something like 90 other titles of just Mario games. And I'm saying something like because there were so fucking many of these that I had to count. I probably lost count. It was either higher or lower. So give or take 90. Uh, But I would say, like, tell me and be honest. Do you know of any person in your life who has never played the game Super Mario Brothers? No. I didn't know that. I, like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, everybody's played Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But yeah, that was released September 13th, 1985. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the hot products round? All right. Well, my hot product, I decided to keep it, you know, on the continent. Um <laughs> uh and we're talking world baby no, we're talking the world well believe me this one took over the world too and this one made a fool out of nintendo in the process um i take it to september 9th 1995 where a special company invited people to live in your world but play in ours 
as Sony released the PlayStation in North America. Uh, it began, actually, as an attempt to partner with Nintendo to actually create the Super Famicom into a CD-ROM video game system. And Nintendo decided they didn't want to go that route. They wanted to stay with cartridges. And Sony was so pissed off that they're like, you know what? We're going to develop our own system and develop one they did. Uh, they actually released this just opposite the Sega Saturn, which was also a CD-ROM. So the two coming in kind of heralded the new generation saying that CDs are the future, but PlayStation just wiped the floor with Sega Saturn and, uh, and the N64. Uh, eventually it was actually the first console to ever ship 100 million units. Uh, and it released 7,918 games over its lifetime. And uh, among those were popular games like Gran Turismo, Tekken, Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy VI, Crash Bandicoot, uh, Tomb Raider. You could go on and on and on and on forever. Uh, they had so many proprietary things. They actually uh, still have a great deal of proprietary things uh, and are still the top sellers going. Uh, you know, I mean, Nintendo's had their moments again. The Wii came and became a hot seller. The Switch came in and became a hot seller. But... Sony has been a consistently me consistently a mega seller since this came out and just changed the uh, whole landscape of video games and started all here with the PlayStation. Wow. Excellent. Woo! All right, let's throw it down to Robert Tepper for his final verdict on the Hot Products round and this game. It's so funny that you said uh, Mario Brothers was based on his landlord. I thought I think that's hilarious because every time I saw Mario, I'd go, "What is this guy doing in a game? What is he doing in a game? This is like so funny." You know, he looks so he just always looked funny to me. You know, like who is this dude? And, and I got that uh, from Mike Ranger last night. Well, Mike was in the studio with ahead, me, and he's Mike's like a big uh, retro game guy, and he was like, "You know where they got the name from?" And he like went through the whole thing, and I was like, "Good, I'm going to use that shit." That's so great. It's, it's that I'll, I'll put it to you that a suspended contestant aided in his pick. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, he's still he's indefinitely suspended. suspended. Hold on, back up, back up. I could be suspended. No, 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 not no. no uh, a couple this is like a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago. Yeah. Mike Ranger came to a round with a uh, a false pick. He he like he screwed up. He had 1978 and he brought a concert from 1973. Oh. And it was like this big thing. Mike Mike did a press conference. Oh, <laughs> so so it was like it was like a scandal. Oh yeah. You guys it was a scandal. So Mike got scandalized. Mike gave. Mike got indefinitely suspended for a pick that didn't even win the fucking round. Yeah. <laughs> or the game. Oh my god. And now he's in a current contestant's ear. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, man. He was canceled. He's canceled. I like it. Okay. So, okay. So there's Mario. He's there. I've seen him jump a million times. I have five children. Every generation has played video games into the ground from, from Madden to my, my 11 and a half year old plays soccer all day. I mean, it, this is great. You don't have to talk to your children anymore. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> You know, you just don't have to. My God, it's like built-in babysitter. 
Come back three days later and shove some toast under the door. They're still watching Mary go <laughs> And um, and uh, you know Sony, Sony created. Wow, they 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 that other company wanted to go with the cartridge, huh? Hmm. That's like uh, what, what was the uh, Xerox? No, we don't need computers. We're we're yeah. fine with the printer. We're okay, <laughs> we don't need. Nah, should we Worked buy that? Out. Should we should we buy this guy Bill's? Like, should we should we get his like the copyright for this thing? Nah, let him keep it. It's okay. <laughs> We don't need it. So that's one of those decisions. You know, I love it. And I don't know, guys. I mean, the creation of watching sports in a whole new, fantastic way. Like, I'm, I'm about to go. As soon as we're done, I'm going to put on my going to put on my tennis match in my football game. <laughs> and I'm going to watch it because DirecTV and all this stuff is just amazing. You know, it is truly, truly amazing what what that was the precursor to. You know, um, first of all, that fight was an was I mean, they've made movies out of what that fight was about. And Muhammad Ali, can you imagine that this stuff was just coming around? Because I remember we went to see Sugar Ray Leonard and Hands of Stone. What was his name? Um, Roberto Duran. Yeah. Roberto Duran. No and we sat at the Beacon Theater in New York and we paid like 25 bucks. And we thought like, whoa, what is this, man? And it was great. Okay, it, it, you felt like you were there. It, it was fantastic. We were all at the Beacon. We got to see that. And that was the first time I ever had any kind of experience with that, you know. And, um, and what that became, and, you know, I mean, that fight was amazing. You know, that was, that was amazing. And just think of it. The billions and billions and billions of people, and that's before they could, you know what I mean? This is that's how popular this yeah. guy. This guy was the most popular man on the planet for years and years and years and years. People loved him, you know. Probably one of our most celebrated, you know, uh, athletic geniuses, you know, because that's what he was. He was an athletic genius, and. Um, so I got to give it to you, Mr. HBO. Um, and uh, I did my best. I hope I don't get banned. Is everybody stacked good? Everybody, come on. Fess up now. <laughs> that, would, that would only be, well, maybe the next time you come back, Mike will be back. Because I think you've been on an episode with Mike before. You've been, but, for sure. Well, I, I would love it. I'm, I'm here to adjudicate no matter who's behind those microphones. <laughs> We need to get, you know, like over the summer, we had uh, quite a few awesome acoustic performances on the show. And I think at your number five, you need to break the guitar out and do it. Okay. One. That's a promise. I will do that. We I got, had. I got him here. <laughs> uh, I know you're in the studio, man. We had uh, Brendan from Weedis did uh, Teenage Dirtbag. Uh, we had. Uh, Tom Higginson did uh, something new from he didn't do like anything from the plain white tees, but he did it from uh, Million Miler. We had even uh, Courtney Gaines, the actor. Yeah, who? Yeah, oh. I remember that guy. Yeah, Malachi from fucking Children <laughs> of the Corn serenaded oh, wow, us. Wow, wow, yeah, with with an acoustic jam. Like it's time for a Robert Tepper you acoustic it. jam. I you'd never guess this by by the way I talk, but I I. <laughs> 
I get nervous playing in front of people sometimes, unless it's like I have a whole band behind me. And I'm not going to do that, but I will do that. Okay. You can't, it's, you've been on so many times. You can't. I be know. Anymore. I feel like I'm in my living room. It's, I've been on so many times. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys, because, you know, hey, you, you know what? It's, it's fun. I have a lot of fun. It's really yeah. Fun. We love having you come on. Like, what else is going on? What, what else are you doing? Let's so, say, uh, I finished, I finished another record. I think I'm going to put it out after the first. It's, it's so difficult to decide what to do these days. Uh, Everybody, no, you release a single and you do and you hire a company to get you likes and dislikes and hit buttons and, you know, and you do a video and you put it. I mean, my head spins. I have I have 14, 13 or 14 songs on this record. It's more singer songwriter. Yeah. And it's going to be called. I got two two titles. I got shaken like a leaf on a tree or golden ring, you know, so I'm not sure which one it's going to be. But the album's mastered and it's done. And um, so, and I'm working on another like hard rock record. So I've been writing a lot, man. That's what I'm doing in here. And, uh, you know, but that record will be out soon. And, uh, you know, looking forward to getting that out there. Maybe, maybe we could coordinate when that record comes out, we could do something and maybe I'll do something oh, with that record. You know, absolutely. Be, uh, that would be fun. So you're looking for uh, like October, November? Like when? Uh, like I think after, after the first, probably. I'm going to, I'm going to release it because. I don't know, because why? I have no freaking idea. You know, I mean, it's like. Is there what? a rhyme or reason anymore? There's no like, rhyme or reason anymore. It's like, you know, my fans and the people who like me are going to listen to it. You know what I mean? And th and that's right. going to be that's going to be the way it goes. And, you know, um, I may try to be clever. And that's what always gets me into trouble because I'm not very clever. You know what I mean? I'm pretty straightforward. And uh, so. Let me see how it goes, but definitely I'm not going to sit on this thing too long because it's done, you know, and there's something about that distance from putting it out there, you know, just put it out there, man. Get it. I, you know, whether I do a single, whether I listen to people, you know what I mean? Or do vinyl or do, <laughs> it's like, you have no idea. It's, it's, it's nuts, you know? Um, yeah, it's crazy. But you know, I watch TikTok all the time. It's my favorite station, uh, TikTok <laughs> station. And, uh, you know, how to promote your song in five easy lessons. And I'm like, oh, next. And I just don't even want to hear it. But it's, it's a very, you know, you, I mean, I've seen time pass by. But, you know, I like the songs on it. I think they're really good. They're a little different for me. And, you know, some are more poppy for me. But it needs to come out. And it needs to come out soon. So. That'll yeah, be, definitely, uh, man. I gotta get it. I got a copy of the last CD. Nice. This is but probably. I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I need. I need the new one because, I, like, I don't think I got the other one signed from you. I did, just, did you just get? Did you get um, better than the rest? You have. I got better one? than the rest. Okay, yeah, I have that on last, CD. That's the last one. That was. The yeah, one. if you do the other one on vinyl, I'll like at least. I like the vinyl, it. I like. I see, hang. you like that, right? On yeah, vinyl, it would be kind of cool, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like take a great picture and like just sell it to people who want the vinyl. But yeah. not everybody has um turn You don't tape. need the system though. Yeah, you don't even need it. Like my my daughter's fifteen. She right. uh so she's just kind of breaking into like what a vinyl is and and that whole thing. And uh Tom Higginson actually sent me two two copies of his new album on album, on cassette and C D. He was like cassette. Yeah. He's like 
you can give them away. I said, all right, great. So we'll be doing that on our Facebook. Make sure you uh, check out our Facebook, join the group, facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. And then we'll do that in the group. But right. when my daughter saw the album, What's she was that? like, can I, she, she was like, can I keep, can I keep one of them? I was like, yeah, he sent me one so you can have it. She broke that thing open and he had, it's a blue album and it's kind of, you could see through it, but it's got like this marbling. Yeah. And she's like, oh, this is so cool. Like, and she was like, how does this work? Like, what do you, I was like, yeah, you need a record player. Which you don't have. Yeah, but that's, that's the thing. It's like, it's limited to people who have record players. Like my son went to live in San Francisco with his girlfriend and he left his turntable. So I, I set it up behind me. I have a really nice turntable now and his whole record collection and I'm having fun, but it's yeah, like, why not? how many people, I mean, they look great. Don't they remember when the. Oh, yeah. Who was it? Dave Mason came out with the only you know and I know. Only you know and I know. And it was like a marbled, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, it was, it was so, so awesome cool. looking. It was just great. I remember it. Yeah, and last year for the first time, vinyl outsold CDs. Yep. Did for it the first really? First time in years. Yeah. Wow. See, I need to get out of the house more, man. This, I'm, I'm such an isolator with this thing. I'm afraid if I go to the gas station. And I suck on the pump. I'm going to get sick. You know? <laughs> I tell you, I bought a turntable. You bought a turntable? Yeah, I bought one. And uh, it just says it came up. I, I got it. And then I found online. My father was a musician. And I found his album on vinyl online. And I reached out. Isn't that amazing? And I reached out and I got it. And the guy and I asked the guy how he came across it and he's a, he's had it since it right. came out and he was just and I, I told him that the guitarist wow. was my father and he was blown away that is so cool no i have a i have an album sitting in my living room for like a month now some guy wants me to sign it and send it back to him and i will if i remember and <laughs> you know but i'm just saying it's like you find them you know and it it it, it feels a little more interesting vinyl you know it just does mm -hmm. you know what i mean it looks I mean, but I don't know, maybe we're old and kids. And you got more real estate, man. Like that was the one cool thing that Tom did. Right. Not only did you had the album cover front and back, but then it had the whole pullout and he had this really cool picture of, on the pullout, which she actually hung up. She didn't hang out the album itself. She hung out the pull up where uh, it's him and it's got like a Nintendo and all this like 80s shit because that's, that's like so what he's all about. And she was like, yeah, and it's it's on our wall as a picture. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Like. I got to send him a picture of that, but yeah. well, I'm, I'm sitting on it and uh, it will come out and hopefully I do vinyl. I'd like to, I really would. And um, it, it may make it more special. And for the people who do get it, it would really be special. I could sign it and stuff. like that. Yeah. That would be awesome, man. Be Definitely you should do that. Do like a small run, man. People yes. Be all over that. That'd be fun. All right, gentlemen, I have a lot of sports to watch. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> And it's always a pleasure, man. I can't oh, wait to have pleasure. you back. Thank you, guys. Thank a lot you. of fun. Thank you so All right. much. All right. Good night. Stay well, Tap. You too, guys. All right, Duelers. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to end this episode right here. want to thank Robert Tapper once again for being our special guest judge for this episode. After not scoring any points the first three rounds, I pick up both of the two-point rounds, and I score the victory in this one, ending Man Crush's uh, winning streak and uh, starting one of my own, hopefully. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Thanks for watching along with us. We'll see you next time. Later. Podcast New York. Podcast New York. Be heard.